I'm Denise. I'm the Scottish one. And she's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise, the English one. And she's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Editing Podcast. Today we're talking about grammar, pedantry and peevery. And we're delighted to welcome our special guest, Rob Drummond. The Rob's a reader in linguistics at Manchester Metropolitan University, head of youth language for the Manchester Centre for Youth Studies, and he's written books with Cambridge University Press, Palgrave Macmillan um, on world Englishes and urban youth language. Welcome, Rob. Yes. Yes, thank you. So, Rob, we met you at the 2019 Society for Editors and Proofreaders annual conference, which was at Aston in Birmingham, and you were our speaker at the gala dinner. Um, That's when you got us thinking and laughing about grammar (laughs) and pedantry and peevery. And we were so we were really delighted when you agreed to come on our podcast and have a chat about this, especially some of the so-called rules that surround language uh, from a linguistic point of view. So welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. So, Rob, um, I I think the first um, thing we wanted to have a look at was... um, The fact that writers hire editors like us, like me and Denise, for lots of reasons, smoothing the flow of text, checking for tension and drama, bringing clarity to a fictional scene or an academic argument. But one thing that a lot of people think of when the word editor comes up is grammar checking. They want us to ensure that the grammar's correct. And I say that putting some um, inverted commas around Air quotes up there. Yeah, yeah, my air quotes. And that's a problem because sometimes that line between correct and preferred or contextually relevant is really blurred, isn't it? And so can you tell us how you as a linguist view the distinction and whether this is more an issue of pedantry or peevery? Um, yeah, it is. It is very blurred. And I think um, the, the idea of something being contextually relevant is the, is the best term to use. Because if, if, if we're going to use the term correct, then it has to be correct within a particular context. Mm. So, I guess some things can be correct. You can talk about spellings being correct or incorrect, or, or there might be a wrong word this is, that has been used, and that's obviously a mistake. But then, to be fair, even then, you've got to be a little bit careful because certain words that people kind of, they might not be standard words, but they still yeah. have sort of meaning. And I mean, a big yeah. thing, if you think about the, the word, um, well, you know, the, the, well, yeah, the word irregardless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. You see, there's a little. You've already so, you've already made people loads of people switch off. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's that. So when you start when you start having that question, well, you know, you you come across this word and people say, well, that's not a word. And you say, well, well, if it's not a word, what 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 is it exactly? If it's if 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 I'm using this word uh, in a way that the person I'm talking to uh, or communicating with or writing to understands it, then arguably it's it's a word and I can so but the important thing is it's it's not appropriate in certain contexts so it's not relevant in particular contexts I I can see that yeah yeah it's um that's one of those words that you know like you say it's it it's performing a function and we understand what somebody means when they when they use it it's just a lot of people don't like it do they no exactly and I can see I can see why but it's it's this it's this kind of kind of really rigid thing that that's not a word and that's not and yeah. because, because then, of course, you're just abiding by these these rules of, of so-called standard English, which, mm-hmm. to be fair, is the appropriate context in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in, in standard English, there are kind of regular and accepted conventions. 
And so it is easy to see how this becomes seen as somehow better, but but of course it's not. So yeah. you know, the word irregardless. Thing, yeah. Exactly. And it's so yeah. the word irregardless, I mean I'm that's a really I I actually personally wouldn't use the word irregardless, no. but I, I I think when people get so cross about it because it's you know, say, well, it's not a word and it's wrong. And I'd kind of, I'd question that sort of argument. It's, mm-hmm. It might well be not appropriate for a given context because that context might require the rules and conventions of standard English. But to kind of blanket say, well, that's not a word. And, it's, and, you know. and yeah. I think you, you, you nailed uh, um, it there when you said um, it's, it's not about it being better. You know, the fact that standard mm-hmm. English has chosen the term regardless. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, if back in the day, it had been standard to use the, the word irregardless, then we'd be having a different discussion. And so, you know, the, this, this notion of what's better that often comes up into these conversations is problematic, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's about yeah. standard rather than it, best. It is. It, exactly. And, and the standard, as we know, is, is pretty much came from a sort of arbitrary, an arbitrary, has a sort of pretty arbitrary history of, of just being the variety that was used in a particular area of, of the country when people started trying to write these things down. Oh. So, so, and then of course it just gets, is a kind of a circle of it just gets given this prestige. So those forms are seen as better in some way, but we know that language changes so much over time anyway. So then, you know, then the argument, other argument you'll get into with people who insist on, on the meat, on using the word, um, decimate you know in a particular in a particular yeah, way yeah and that's such a to me that's such a, a, a blinkered way of looking at language because you you can't you can't follow those rules on the one hand and then ignore other rules i don't know what it's worth words like was it silly or you know words that had completely different meanings yeah, like nice. that's yeah, one, isn't exactly it? Yeah, yeah we don't use those words anymore but why are you insisting on this this particular one yeah and, and well mm-hmm. I, I, the fact is we know why it is it's because people people are very very happy with the idea that language changes but they don't like to think of it changing within their own lifetime and so, yeah. Yeah. And so yes. the version of english they think is the best is the one that they yeah. acquired themselves and anything yeah. deviates from that is is wrong they kind of remain frozen in time with what they were taught at school and that sort of thing yeah Yeah. Yeah. so um rob our listeners are dealing with the written word and and there are obviously as we've been saying there are so-called certain so-called rules that get people in a bit of a tiz and it tends to bring the peevers out in force Um, louise and i both have blogs and we've both experienced um the delight of receiving unsolicited comments about Mm. splitting infinitives or starting sentences with a conjunction and do do you think that what which zombie rules of language do you think we should really get rid of as soon as possible and why are there any that score really highly on your list yeah, for me, it's the it's, uh, starting a sentence with a conjunction. I think is 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 a big one. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a crazy kind of piece of advice that, that yeah. doesn't make much sense. For me, it's also the kind of the less and fewer um, rule. Right. Oh yeah, because, that's a good one. Because yeah. the thing with with a lot of these so-called rules is that the kind of archetypal there are examples that are given in textbooks and they make a lot of sense. And so we you know we use we use less. Uh, with this and we use fewer with countable nouns and less with uncountable nouns and mm-hmm. that's fine and the example they'll give will be you know fewer apples we don't say less apples or but less milk or something really clear yeah but then the problem is when you start to get to those areas which aren't so clear and people then still stick kind of doggedly to what they they think is correct so you start talking about you might, you might hear someone talk about like there's 
um, well, the, the, that's one fewer person to worry about. Or, yeah. I, slept, or I, I slept for fewer than seven hours. And, and, and because they kind of, they got it in their heads that no, it's, we can count it, I can count people, so it must be fewer. I can count hours, it must be fewer. And of course, it, it doesn't work like that, you know? And, and there, are, there are conventions within that, so we can, uh, you know, people who, who, who work with grammar can explain why those two sentences aren't, aren't correct. But of course, for most people who just have a vague understanding that there's some rule, and so you, I think it's, it's things like that, that that really need to be. Yeah, that's, that brings to mind the, the distinction between um, over and more than as well. Which oh, yeah. <laughs> I still don't even really get what the distinction I is. Know, I, <laughs> know, know? I know, I know. But I, I do know that there, are, that there are editors out there who will absolutely make that distinction. Yeah. Um, even on social media. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't get me started. Mm -hmm. We see that's where, you know, yeah, that's a that's a crazy. The the other the other one actually, which is is more in in my area of work in terms of uh, dealing with academic writing, dealing with students and their academic writing, mm -hmm. is somebody has told them at some point that they shouldn't use I, that they shouldn't make it, and this oh, yeah. drives me mad because the the ways in which they try and get round using I, once they once they start talking about the author, referring to themselves or yeah. the researcher, yeah. or using so much kind of passive constructions just to avoid saying i when you it, it just, so somebody has made this rule and we, we don't stick by it i realize it might be discipline specific to be honest i can mm -hmm. i can see that but within linguistics social sciences humanities there is nothing wrong with using i yeah. you know yeah. it, it's it to, to try and yeah to try and distance yourself uh kind of really really kind of turning somersaults to try and to try and we, we see this all the time in uh, we're in various sort of Facebook groups for editors, but also um, I can think of one Facebook group we're in, which is um, where writers can ask editors questions and the variety of rules that they ask um, about. It's, it's incredible things yeah. that I've never heard of and, or no one's ever heard of, but they're tying themselves in knots trying yeah. to avoid doing something that someone has told them and is that, wrong that <laughs> not thing is really interesting when it yes. comes to the other zombie rule about not ending a sentence with a preposition mm. and again it's a bit like that thing you were talking about rob where people end up constructing these really complex unreadable sentences yeah. unspeakable sentences that yeah. um, <laughs> in order to avoid breaking this so-called rule that they I don't know, someone told them was the right way to do it 57 yeah. million years ago or something. And, and it just makes no sense. And exactly. It boils the language. It, it, it takes the, it actually pulls the reader out of the, 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 the point that's trying to be communicated. It, it does. And, and, and those rules, those conventions were just made up, you know, just by old mm. white men sitting in a study yeah. Um, yeah. deciding, yeah. I think, I think it should be this. And so yeah. they yeah. do that. It's, it's I think also that other example you briefly touched on as well is, um, you know, trying to avoid using the passive. Well, you know, th there is a place for the passive Definitely. in writing. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, this, this again, people really getting in, in knots. And I think it's important for listeners who are maybe, you know, trying to get to grips with writing to realise that, you know, the beauty of the language is that it's flexibility, you, you know, and that we should be able to work with all these things without saying an absolute yes or no to anything, really. And just yeah. to therefore reiterate the fact that we are speaking today to a linguist. So yes. if you don't, 
trust your editor <laughs> yes but, uh, question those um zombie rules then listen to someone who does this who understands yes. the profession. lives and breathes it yeah, yeah. <laughs> rob you work with and carry out research on youth language do you think it's common that each generation has a tendency to view the next generation as destroying or dumbing down language. I mean, we've all been through that thing where you've, you know, people, I've, I've heard that numerous times, like, oh, well, back in our day, you know, we didn't say it like this. Is there an argument that um, dumbing down or destruction of language isn't what's happening at all, but that actually it's, I'm kind of putting, putting my answer or my view and Denise's <laughs> view in your mouth, but, um, you know, it's, it's sort of that contrasting that idea with, with, a, with an alternative, but it's actually vibrant and creative and enriches our language. Yes, it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's, it, it, is, it, is, it is vibrant and it does enrich the language. And the idea that standards are slipping, you know, in, uh, with, with young people and language, are just, it's just completely false. But what's interesting is, you know, you can show evidence of this by, the very fact that literally every generation has said this about about the, the you know, <laughs> people people younger themselves and mm. there's there's a great talk um, uh, by the, the linguist John McWhorter he gave it he did a TED a TED talk called um, texting is killing the language oh, yeah. and he gives really good examples because he he shows a you know he's explaining this about you know older people saying that texting is is making is is is, is ruining English basically. And he, he, he has a, a, a quote from, uh, from 1956 about some school teacher complaining about um, uh, young people not being able to use grammar properly, showing how it's, you know, it's from that old. And then he has a similar quote from 1917 saying exactly the same thing. <laughs> and then he has one from 1871, <laughs> and then 1841. And then his last example is one from 63 AD. Oh my goodness. How, how young people aren't able to use, uh, use yeah. Latin properly. Yeah. That's and so, fantastic. And I think anybody who works with with young people, you, you you just listen listen to them speaking, and you can see, and you can see how how kind of how how vibrant this language is. And I, I did something recently. I was giving a talk about youth language uh, to to some people recently, and just to kind of update my own examples, I just asked Twitter if they had. Uh, for people to any people to give me any examples for, for older people to give me any examples of words they'd heard young people use that they didn't really understand mm -hmm. and also for young people to give me examples of words they used that older people didn't understand and so I had so many replies most of which came from older people um, saying they don't understand these terms and right. so we had things like uh, salty, dank, leng, flex, Stan, low key, uh, right. sweat, retweet, all these, all these words, yeah. and 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 but the intro, and then I and then I put all this 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 up on Twitter, and, and you know, young people were, were were amazed that people didn't know this, and and I when I was talking to talking to loads of A level students, and they were just kind of giggling about all these things, and so but the thing is, old people, you can't have it both ways. You can't, on the one hand, say that language is becoming is kind of dumbing down and becoming less sophisticated. You can't have, say that on the one hand, but at the same time, look at this list of words and say, I have no idea what any of these mean. Those yes. two things, yeah. they just, it doesn't, it doesn't. They're not the same, it. are they? Yeah, not exactly. knowing a word is not, is not saying that just, just because you don't know something doesn't mean that it's, it that, doesn't invalidate it, does it? No, it, exactly. Right. It, 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 yeah, to me, it just means the opposite. The fact that all these young people that have these, really sophisticated way of uh, ways of describing things that we don't have as older people surely is an example 
of language being just as sophisticated, if not more sophisticated, and we know it, 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 it changes. And, and the very fact that older people don't understand it, I think is completely right and proper. I think young people should have their own way of speaking. And, uh, and sure enough, as soon as adults start using these things, then... <laughs> you took the words over my mouth, have I was just thinking that too. Oh, Mark, oh, Mark, yeah. so that's so 2017. Yeah, yeah. Mob, you are not allowed to say that you stand something. You know, that exactly. is just, I'm yeah. not allowed to say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah they're exactly. so creative. I love this. I've got three kids that are all in or around about teens and... They are incredibly creative. And I notice even with my, my youngest is almost 13, my eldest is 21, even the language has changed between them. It, you yeah. know, my my 21-year-old used language that my 12-year-old, 13-year-old doesn't use anymore because it's moved on. So things exactly. move yeah. quickly, yeah. Yeah, and so isn't that, you know, and that's great. So that just yeah. shows how how kind of vibrant the whole, the whole thing is. I, and I it think also shows how... How those young people are able to um, shift their own boundaries um, and, and understandings and, and so much more quickly, perhaps than I than I've ever been able to. I think I think that I look at the way I speak and the kind of things I learned, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just maybe you're not so I'm not just not so aware of it. But it, it does seem to to happen so much faster these days that think that certain words go in and out of fashion. And I think it's amazing that they can just. They can learn it so quickly yeah. and, and discard it equally when it's no longer of use to them. And and um, but they always understand. And yeah, they do. And of course, but they're using language so much more. So all of these again, false arguments that kids don't communicate, and mm -hmm. because they're always on their phones. But what are they doing on their phones? They're they're, they're communicating all yeah. the time. You yeah. watch your teen, you know. Say I've got three teenagers as well, and just watching them on their phones, it's constant. And 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 looking at the way they construct messages it's not like old people do it's not like and imagine when we were at school you know you 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 talk to someone at school you talk to people at school lots of interaction there and then you know you could come home and maybe you might be on the phone to someone or you might go and see someone but mm. but they're constantly communicating and like I say these the the structure of these messages it's not like older people just writing a message and then getting a reply it's this constant interaction conversation it's like a web, so, isn't it, all the yeah, time? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and being able to do this and manipulate language in that way. And of course, that kind of social media uh, and, and kind of communication languages is sort of in between speaking and writing anyway. The two used to mm. be, the two are less separate than they used to be because, you know, your average sort of communication over social media is like, is, is sort of written, spoken language. Whereas, yeah. you know, it used to be very separate. So I think, I think they're using language in really sophisticated ways. The problem, of course, is that other people argue, well, it's all very well them having all these slang words and different ways of saying stuff, but of course it's not gonna get them a job and they're gonna, you know, when they're in, a, in an interview, you know, it's not gonna come across very well. But, but like I say, the young people I work with, I, I'm, I'm yet to meet one who wasn't able to switch it around. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. called switching. I was yeah. just gonna exactly. say that as well. And, yeah. and they're not, it doesn't mean they're perfect because well, nobody's perfect in, no. in, the, in mm -hmm. an interview situation. I know I could improve, um, you know, and then it, even just listen to the beginning of this podcast and I, I bet I was very kind of hesitant and kind of stumbling over what, there's all sorts of, everybody can improve. So they're not perfect, but they're mm -hmm. certainly not being let down by their kind of inability to, to not speak slang. It's not like yeah. they're sitting there in an interview 
just speaking in slang and swearing. It's, mm -hmm. it's nothing like this. And they, like they, they absolutely understand the, the context as well. Because my 15 year old, yeah. she, she's, we, I was having a conversation with her because I was telling her about who we were speaking to today. And um, we were talking about this whole issue of, of youth language. And, and she said, um, she said, oh, it just really annoys me when, when people go on about that stuff, you know, in a negative way, because she said, I, I, I know how to, it's, it's, it's just like anything. It's like going, it's like when I go round to a friend's house and I speak to her mum, you know, I, I know that I have to be polite and well-behaved and maybe use language that I wouldn't necessarily use with my friend. And, or like I might swear in front of some, some one person, but I wouldn't do it in front of a teacher. And it's, it's no different with her, her social media language or her informal language with her friends. You know, she, she all our children know, exactly. um, you know, w how, to, how to mix it up so that they're appropriate, mm -hmm. just as we learn those things and just as our parents learn those things yeah. Yeah. yeah rob can i ask you do you think this um the, the fact that young you know that there's historical evidence obviously that young people are always creating language and using it differently do you think that's because um young people are um are inherently um curious and creative and and try things in a different way or do you think they're creating language to um, perhaps exclude older people or to create an identity for themselves? Do you, is there I, a difference in how they approach it? I think it's both of those things and the reason the reason why studying the language of young people is so interesting well there's two there's two big reasons the first is of course we, we know language changes over time but it doesn't tend to change within within one generation so you know once once you you, you, you become an adult your, your language doesn't change hugely for the rest mm -hmm. of your life it, it, there's a there's some change but not hugely so of course the changes are taking place between the generations so so that's one reason to look at the language of young people because they're at the forefront of, of this change yeah but the other reason is exactly as you say that that time of that time of life is one where people are kind of working out who they are and they're trying to kind of negotiate their new sort of adult adolescent adult identities and one way in which they do that is through through language. They do that through the way they dress, the way they behave. I don't know, kind of tattoos, how they have the hair, makeup, piercings, all of these things, the music they listen to, is all a way of performing different identities. <clears throat> but language plays a part in that. And it's a case of, you know, who, who aligns with who uh, and, and, and forming these social groups. And one of those huge social groups is as an adolescent as opposed to an adult. So they will be using language quite rightly, as I said before, quite rightly to exclude adults to, to be yeah. part of yeah. a different group. Give them their own space. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it, that's, how, that's how it should be. But so I think it is those two things. It's the, 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 they, are, they are kind of um, the, the mechanism of language change anyway, quite naturally. But also they're, they're using language in order to create their you know, emerging identities. Yeah, that's a really nice, lovely celebratory, celebratory way of thinking of it uh, as yeah. well. And um, it's lovely to hear you talk about that uh, as a linguist and, and, and celebrating that rather than so negatively, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, just um, sort of an extension of the sort of this sort of youth language talk, um, the conversation that we're having here is, um, is the effect of living in a more globalized world, um, Rob, you know, do you see um, young people blurring US and UK English? I, I mean, have you got evidence of that? I certainly think I see that 
with my teenagers mm. um, and I just wondered if you're seeing that if, if there's evidence to support that or is it is it in written word as well as spoken what, what, are, you, what are you seeing trend wise there that's really tricky. I, I'll be honest. I don't. I don't really. I don't really know what's mm-hmm. what's going on. My my instinct is actually that, as in terms of kind of globally and how English is used globally, I have a feeling that people might need to feel the need to assert their national identities uh, more right. strongly in some way. So language might be used. So even though people are speaking, more people are speaking English, but it will be a there'll be many more different varieties of English because of course it's yeah. been a long time since since Eng- English belonged to the UK. Eng- English really is a global language in the sense that it doesn't belong to anybody anymore. Yeah. So people aren't learning English to, um, they're not even learning English to speak to, to so-called native English speakers. They're using English as that's that's the means of communication. Yeah, it's like with, the link with Frank, whoever. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so because, and then there might be a sense that because there's this requirement, people are almost being forced um, from, from a kind of society perspective, forced to learn English, and they might want to disassociate themselves from the connotations, because it has a, you know, a very dark past anyway, mm. um, in terms of, you know, with, with the history of England and the history of, of, of the United States. So it might be that people are using language and people are using their own varieties of English to assert, to reassert their national identities, even though they're using the same language. So I don't know, but yeah. I, I agree with young people and the kind of the way that media is consumed and, and everything. For young people, there might be much more of a emerging um, emerging yeah. different varieties. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I, I work, a lot of my work is in um, English language teaching materials. Ah, right, yeah. Um, and I think the figure is something like three out of five English speakers are, are non-native speakers. It's not their first language. And and I see this starting to be reflected in, um, in the textbooks and the student resources that they're you know, it is not one English that's being, you know, promoted anymore. It's recognizing Arabish and Singlish and yeah. and all these sorts of things because chances are that when these learners are speaking English, like you say, it's not going to be to a native speaker. It's going no. to be to a, another non-native speaker, and it's just the common language that they're using. But I think that whole point about um, holding on to your identity through the type of English you use is really interesting yeah yeah no it's good to hear that that's the change in in material as well because that's being acknowledged in ELT materials because I, I, mm-hmm. I started out as a as an AFL teacher did you uh, yeah right. that's right so I did that for a long time uh-huh. and I was very aware I used to teach in Turkey I was teaching Turkey for a few years and I was very aware that the the old the, to be fair they were very old textbooks we were using uh-huh. yeah. but they were still really they were teaching they were teaching British culture as much as, and, and yes. it just seems so yes. I thought these, these young people, they're not even, they'll probably never go to you. There's no reason for them to go to the UK. And that's not why they're learning English anyway. They were learning mm-hmm. English because, well, some of them are being, being kind of forced to, you know, through their university or jobs or whatever. Yeah. And it, it, it just seemed, it seemed kind of wrong that it was being packaged together and that there was a very, it was a very singular variety that they were being exposed to, um, which seemed wrong. That is really interesting, actually, that point about how um, a a language that is learned can be so um, infused with um, politics. Mm. Oh, yeah. I I remember even, and and culture, because I remember a friend of mine who um, identifies as British, but she um, has a German mother, 
and and she said she told me once that when she speaks german which she speaks fluently um she feels like a slightly different person she feels mm -hmm. because the, the language is 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 infused with yeah. different cultural references and 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 and, and she, it, it's it's slightly dislocating for her so if she's speaking german in and if she's not in germany if she's in germany it feels cut like a comfortable switch mm. but if she starts speaking um German over here um, in, in the UK, you know, she it's it, it, it's a slightly different experience for her, as as very very intimately, and um, mm. and that that sort of ties in with that whole sense of identity as well. But how that that could be used really negatively um, yeah. when you're sort mm. of forcing a, a language and a, and a and a grammar on 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 other other people learning English when it's not their native language. Yeah, yeah. What um what's your view, Rob, on the internet and how that's impacted on, particularly on, on when we've talked about already about the the role of internet, the internet and, and social media more specifically in terms of kind of the way it's a, a, a sort of hybrid spoken and written um language. But hmm. what what about how its its role, the internet's role in in pedantry and and peevery? I well, I think I think. I think social media and, and Twitter and, and Facebook are just a, a, a pedant's dream to be honest. Like just, <laughs> pedant's paradise. Just, it really is. Yeah, pedant's paradise. It's just this kind of, the, I mean, Twitter, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Twitter and I spend a lot of time on Twitter. I think it's great for, for kind of discussing language related things, but there's a real, there's a real kind of nastiness as well. And, and I think this, it's very easy to, to you know, criticise people and this sort of idea of online shaming of grammar mistakes, and it really, it really annoys me. And that the 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 kind of the pride people take, and and the fact that it's so easy to then have uh, you know photos of, of of badly worded shop signs and and yeah. missing yeah yeah yeah. For me, it's this is different to say if you have a big you know a corporate shop sign and they're missing an apostrophe, and that's fine. That's one thing, and that should be pointed out, and that's you know. It's just you know a mistake. But when you people are putting up pictures of handwritten shop, you know there might be a, a handwritten sign in a, the window of a newsagent, and somebody's criticising their lack of, you know, the dodgy apostrophes. And you think, well, th this could be someone's second, third, fourth language, and exactly. yeah, it yeah. Just, and, it's, and it's an informal sign in a in a in a shop window. You you know exactly what it means, and just because this person either you know hasn't had the education that the observer has or hasn't you know or was a, was away the day that they taught the most ridiculous conventions of apostrophes because they're not consistent whatever anyone says the the rules of the convention they're not rules the conventions around apostrophes aren't aren't consistent and so it's it's that kind of thing i think that need to correct people okay. i find yeah I found really kind of troubling and i think yeah the snobbery being, that comes yeah. with it that, that sense of being better than the next it, well that's it because that, that's all you're doing that's that's mm -hmm. that's what you're doing and and it's it's that and you know when then you know when if someone might be making a really useful point on 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 twitter or something they might be making a you know you've seen i've seen tweets where somebody's said something really interesting or really profound or really moving about something and then literally there'll be a reply somewhere just saying it's your not your oh i know oh it's it's so frustrating isn't it yeah, yeah. i just don't i don't, right. I don't kind of right thanks for dragging the conversation away from the interesting bit yeah yeah, yeah. exactly although um, to be fair that you by the same token you you have to if you, once you've taken this stand you have to you have to be consistent and it's it's quite 
it's it's tempting uh, <laughs> when you then see you'll see some nasty kind of racist misogynist kind of and they and you know they're mangling apostrophes and you you, you have to stop yourself then because you kind of think well because because th then it just belittles the argument both ways the point yeah. is it's not a good thing to do anyway because it just dis distracts it either distracts from a very good point someone's made um or it distracts from some kind of a very know, bad point yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. Just, i am um, i i'm involved with the the sfep social media team and right. so i'm involved in um what goes on our Facebook page and our Twitter page and all that sort of thing. And we frequently get people um, messaging us um, with, like you say, pictures of signs with spelling errors or poor punctuation or whatever, and thought you might be interested in this, ha ha ha, feel free to share it. And, yeah. and we never do it because that is absolutely not our purpose it's not our ethos and it's no, yeah. you know that, that we're not about shaming people but people misunderstand you know yeah, the, role of the society um but it's, it's a very common misunderstanding about editors as well yeah, the other is. awful thing about it is is that um it makes a lot of people afraid of grammar and afraid mm -hmm. of language, afraid of using new language or, or sometimes going public and it, it makes a lot of people afraid of writing and, mm. and therefore afraid of a really, really useful way of communicating. And that's horrible to think that, yeah. that language and, and, and grammar in particular are being used as, as tools to exclude. It is, yeah. I've, I've, I mean, I bet you get this, um, you'll probably get this more than me, but I've had people tell me they were afraid of emailing me or being concerned about either, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, I was worried about this email or I checked this email three yeah, times just to absolutely. check this email. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you yeah. know, yeah, I might, I might notice. I'm not going to say mm -hmm. that's kind of what I do, but it wouldn't. Make me you think don't care. No, yeah, exactly. I don't yeah. care. And, and you don't, and, and we don't judge people on that basis no, either. No, you because know, no. it's our what a lot of editors will say when they're faced with somebody that says that is a well, we're coin operated and we'll yes. correct yes. you when you when we're being paid, <laughs> but yeah, otherwise we don't care. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, Rob, when you gave us your amazing talk at our conference this year, you put up that wonderful graph you have, and um, you put it up on the screen yes. uh, showing the relationship between knowledge and pedantry now yes. we know this is audio only but give it a go can you could you tell us a little bit about what that was all about explain it so perhaps everyone who wasn't there can get a flavor of it because i think it was incredibly useful and insightful it really was yeah, yeah well th yes thank you well I, i'm very proud of this i think i'm <laughs> I, yes because i'm proud of it because it's from a from my own experience um from uh being an ex kind of pedant and I realized that that's what a lot of people who work with language have also felt so so the idea was there was just a graph where there were two two lines on it one about uh, knowledge of language and one um, linguistic pedantry and it tried to show that once there were kind of four main four key points in 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 someone's life relating to language and, and right at the beginning you you learn a bit about language you might learn a few rules um, and then suddenly, once you've done this, you then start to become a bit of a pedant because you start to notice when people aren't abiding by those rules. So you might you might learn about less and fewer, and and you know splitting infinitives and all these things. And and then you and whom when to use whom, and you think, okay, I'm quite clever now. And you'll notice when other people do. So you start to correct other people. But then what happens is 
you you quite enjoy doing this. You you enjoy correcting other people. You enjoy that sense of uh, of feeling a bit clever and a bit superior. So your pedantry goes right up. You 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 know this gets reinforced and you become a full on pedant. But but your knowledge of language hasn't actually increased because you you you'd know the same as you did. But you you're kind of you have this this confidence, this false confidence from the little bit of knowledge you have. So then you're kind of, that's the worst bit. You're a kind of full on pedant, but you don't actually know that much about language. Then you decide to learn a bit more about language. So the, the, the knowledge about language line goes up. And at that point, the pedantry starts to come down because you realize that that isn't a very sensible thing to do. And that these rules that you'd learn, they're not rules, they're just conventions. And there's loads of exceptions and it's all to do with context. And so the, the pedantry comes down, the knowledge of language goes up, and then eventually you learn lots about language and, and you become a completely the opposite and you're completely anti-pedant and you look back at all the pedants and think that's a bad place to be. And so at that point, I always say that's when you're kind of called upon to then challenge some of the pedants, which I spend a lot of time doing. And, uh, and But literally everyone I've spoken to who, you know, has, I think... I think almost any anti-pedant started off as a as some sort of pedant. <laughs> You're absolutely I th- right. Yeah, I think yeah, it's totally yeah. natural. I think you, yeah. you 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 learn these things and you do take a pride, but it's when you it's when you really learn them that you think yeah. actually mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. However, for the for the for the event um, uh, that I was that, that I saw you at, I was I actually added a tiny bit more to the. Yeah. <laughs> and because again, it's just this is this is just my life. This is just my reflection. And uh it was a little a little lump a little kind of blip at the end where you become a sort of pedantic anti-pedant. <laughs> and you you're almost looking you're almost looking for examples of pedantry to then come along and say, No, you're you're wrong, you shouldn't be doing this. It's and so and I know true. I did that. I know I was doing that you know, yeah. last year, I know I was almost scouring, uh, you know, Twitter just so I could come in and say, you're wrong, you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And, and to be honest, that's just as unattractive as, or yeah. no, not as unattractive, but it's, 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 so it's only a little kind of, a little blip in the graph. But I want to, I want to use a, a teenager's word. I want to say, I stand this so much. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> because I'll tell you, Rob, this absolutely mirrors a blog post I wrote about two years ago. Oh, right, okay. Do you know what I mean, Louise? It's the one yeah, that's yeah. called The Grammar the Police grammar is police. Not Cool. And it basically details my journey through your graph. Ah, good. I'll, <laughs> I'll, look. I'll send you a link to it. Yeah, um, but, and I think um, it's, it's an experience that so many, like you say, so many editors go through this. And mm. um, it's almost like it's a it's a right of passage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, and different people will be at different points on the graph. And, yeah. and, and, and I know, I know that when I was talking to, you know, at that event, I knew there were some people that were further back along the graph. Yeah. You, you just know and, th- and quite, and maybe thinking, well, who's this guy coming in here telling us? And, and, <laughs> well, they're the know, ones booing and, and, and from yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the one that gave you one out of five for your talk. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, yeah, it's, it's, but also, also something that I sometimes when I'm talking about the graph, I forget to mention, I forget to emphasize that this is, this is all about pedantry and not, and not preferences. And I, and I think that's really important. I think yeah. it's, it's totally normal and, and, and totally natural for us, people who are interested in language, who work with language, we've all got preferences and yeah. that's fine. There mm-hmm. might be particular words you like, there might be particular grammatical structures you like, or even bits of punctuation you like. 
and and for me sound because I work a lot with with accents there are particular kind of accents I like or sounds that I like but the the point is everyone has their preferences but it's only when those preferences become judgments that's that's the problem and that's the absolutely. difference absolutely you know? yeah and that's think, a really good point to make yeah it's particularly for editors listening because um so much of our work is about respecting style and voice um mm. whether it's fiction or non-fiction and you may like uh, or you may not particularly gel with an author's style but you have to protect it and respect it when you're sure, editing. Yeah. Rob do you have any advice for any editors listening to this about how they should approach the issue of pedantry and peevery? I mean you've you've touched on this actually already because it is I guess one of the first things to do is that we need to recognize when we're being pedants or anti-pedants. Mm, yes well <laughs> it, it, it's difficult I mean and, and I think you're in a really interesting area and because in some ways, your your job is to be pedantic in in terms of you know your your actual role. You're tr you're having to you, you I guess you you tread a very fine line between a, what would be a descriptive approach to language and a prescriptive approach to language. Yeah. As in, you need to be aware of how language is changing, but you also your your you know your job will be to get this piece of writing into the into the kind of uh, to, to match the style. Um, that is required of this particular publication and that will Im involve abiding by these conventions which um, you know which you know are contextually appropriate but of course you know in that context uh, it, it's absolutely right in the same way that I always have again have this argument with people who when they listen to me talking about this stuff and they say well what about when you're marking student essays do you not you know do you not worry about apostrophes and well yeah, of course I do you know and I'm really I'm really quite strict on this because because I know the conventions and I know that in this context it's very important because yeah. that's how mm. you be judged and that's that's what that's the criteria we're going against rightly or wrongly that's what we're doing so so I think yeah your 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 kind of role is very uh, is very interesting but I may, I imagine what you need to do is is somehow you have to try and well like you sort of mentioned earlier about being kind of coin operated you have to sort of compartmentalize work the work your approach to language at work with your approach to language in the very messy linguistic reality of, of, of everyday life and I, I guess it's 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 having that division um, but I think it, it's all I think it's all you know I mentioned in, in the talk sort of becoming more uh, kind of getting engaged with areas of language outside your comfort zone which I think is quite an important thing to do and so mm. whether it's working with different forms of language just just to see you know what, what else is out there um, but I, I think that the main thing for all of us is just to try and try not to be a pedant in, in, in real life. And I think, oh, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's all, you know, cause I think people, people who are quite pedantic, I think they, they think they're doing people a favor. I think they, 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 or they argue to themselves that they, they're trying to help somebody that they're, they think they're being, they're being kind, but they're almost, you're almost always not. And it's the same way. It's sort of, um, similar to imagine if somebody came up to you um, to criticize or to correct the way you were dressed you know imagine somebody just out of the blue said you really shouldn't be wearing those things together and 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 it might be somebody who who knows a lot about fashion or, or is a real expert but unless their opinions been asked for it's 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 you know it's a little bit of, and I see it in the same way so they might think yeah. they're doing you a favor but you might yeah you might not care or you might not agree. And I think it's a similar thing to that. Um, I think, you know, I think that the idea that, that 
I think that's how people justify it. They're trying to, they, they, they think, well, this person should know. And I think they, they'd like to know that whom isn't correct here and it should be who. But unless, mm. they, unless they've asked for that, um, I, don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's what we should be doing. But from what I could gather from the people I spoke to who are editors, you know, this is completely, uh, that's, that's exactly what everyone does. It's, it's that sort of compartmentalizing the two, your two approaches to language. I think. Yeah. yeah, I'm always immensely grateful when colleagues say email me privately, if they've noticed, again, it's that contextual relevance. If, if say they've noticed something on um, a blog post yeah. or, or in one of my courses or a book or something and, and they'll say, oh, look, and this is just a private thing. It's just a little heads up. And I really, I'm always so grateful for that. What I, what I hate and get really cross about is when someone does that in front of 10,000 people on social media or whatever. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. unbelievable. Well, exactly. maybe that's a little bit too over the, over, over the No, but, but that's it. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, and then it's, it's your job. And that would be a kind of a nice professional, you know, way to, way to do it and i think that's absolutely yeah. fine i think that's good i mean because also you've got to be you know once you start correcting people um you you've got to it can be so sort of judgmental and so um i don't know what's the what's the word but when you uh, something that, that gets me is when people are, uh, are kind of made made to look foolish for not knowing a slightly different for, from writing but we're not knowing how to pronounce a word yeah. that they only know from reading which is a wonderful thing because exactly. it shows they've been reading yes it's such yeah. a it's such a it's it's something that people people laugh at but it's mm -hmm. actually a really positive thing it just made, yeah you know and yeah. so yeah i think that's a that's a, that's a that's a strange one so yeah people people want to know you know people people like like when i mean i was at, when i was at university and i was doing american studies uh did my first degree and and um I remember giving a presentation about national parks in America and I was talking about I know what's coming I was talking, <laughs> I was talking about uh, Yosemite National Park uh, I and, think I've made the same error me too and then just, but of course that's the sort of thing you want to be you want to be correct you want to be corrected in that case yeah. I do want to be corrected but obviously in a nice way not to be ridiculed in front of the whole yeah. class which is what yeah. might have happened it is about being kind, isn't it? And it whether is, whether is. the um, whether the advice has has been solicited or not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes. Solicited. Then of course, then mm -hmm. then you, you you tell people exactly what they need what they need to know if it's been asked for. Unsolicited, I think you've got to be really careful. And you know, you you if you're trying to avoid somebody, if you're trying to avoid a somebody facing an embarrassing situation. If yes. Yeah. Whether it's hot. Exactly. Then you can do it in a kind way, in a private yeah. way. Absolutely. But as soon as language is used to, to, to ridicule, because correcting, you know, kind of criticizing people's language is always about more than something. It's always about something more than language. It's, it's, it's always about more. There's always an element of the kind of unsolicited criticism is always about, look, I'm, I'm just that bit cleverer than you. And yeah. And I think that's what we need to avoid. And it yeah. backfires as well, because I, I tend to take a, Denise and I have talked about this before, but um, um, sort of privately, but there's this issue of, of when one is publicly criticised or, or shamed publicly, mm. um, that's just someone you're not going to engage with anymore. You're never going to refer work to them. You're not going to do work yeah. for them. You don't want to engage with people like that. And, and I, and I was, we, we've talked about how we think that, 
people need to remember that when you when you take that line when you when you go down that path mm. um, and given how social media is so much about not just communication and sharing but about relationships as soon as you go down that line you're 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 potentially breaking and harming potential yeah, relationships and, and and you're just shooting yourself in the foot yeah 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 Rob, thank you so much for taking time yeah, to talk really. to us today. I think no we could problem. probably have uh, discussed this with you for hours if our time allowed us. Yeah, um, pleasure. Uh, we've really enjoyed it. I think our listeners will get an awful lot from this conversation today. Um, we'll make sure that we pop the links for your books and your website into the show notes um, so that people can read a bit more about what you have to say on these topics. No problem. That'd be great. And uh, obviously the graph, obviously we'll give you a link to the... To the great. Yes. Thank you, yeah. We have to share that widely with we the world. To. <laughs> to spread the word. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, so now it's time for Editing Bytes. This is our regular feature where we recommend a tool or resource to help you on your writing journey so louise what have you got for us this week so my bite this week is the radical copy editor blog editor alex capitan uses that blog to educate anyone who uses words and wants to understand how words communicate values norms ideals and how that means language isn't neutral um, how it can be used to oppress and hurt, but also liberate and heal. And it's an absolutely brilliant blog. And what, what I really love about it is that it's utterly non-judgmental. I always learn a ton from Alex and I, I recommend it to anyone who wants to learn how to think and write more inclusively. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, my bite this week is an interview that uh, Joanna Penn did with Jane Freeman about Jane's book, uh, The Business of Being a Writer. Joanna is a hugely successful indie author and her website is just full of resources for writers. And Jane is a very experienced publishing professional. Uh, they discuss in this conversation um, how to be strategic um, in the business of being a writer, looking at multiple income streams and how to use and get the most out of blogging and social media to promote your writing. It's definitely well worth a listen. So that's it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Editing Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us by Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. And as I said before, we'll put all the links we've mentioned in the show notes so you can grab everything there. Bye. Bye-bye.